1: Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Happy New Year's Eve, everybody. Trader lineup for the final show of the year, Brian Kelly, Jeff Mills, Mike Cohen, James McDonald. Tonight on Fast, it may be New Year's Eve, but Times Square looks a lot different from what we're used to. We'll talk to the CEO of one restaurant group that used to be at the center of the action about how he's had to reset his plans and his outlook for the industry. And Poise to Pop will go off the chart to look at a couple of names that are setting up for a big year ahead. Plus, the general is winding up for a fast pitch Why he thinks this biotech stock is ready for a big bounce. And we've got one more supersized edition of Fast Money coming your way. There's still time to send us your trading questions before the ball drops. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We'll get you some answers at the top of the hour. All right, we start off this New Year's Eve with. Another set of records. The S&P closing the year at an all-time high for the first time since 2013. The index up 16% on the year. Most of 2020's gains coming from a trio of stocks, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft. They are responsible for 57% of the market's rise. And take a look at some other eye-popping returns this year. Tesla. Tesla up 743 percent. Peloton up 434 percent. Zoom up almost 400 percent. So as we end the year on a very high note, we thought we'd make some predictions for 2021. We wondered what themes and trends would set the stage for the new year and for investments. So let's dive right into it. Jeff Mills, your prediction for the new year.
2: So, my, my line for next year is bigger isn't necessarily better. And I think it, it really hinges on a few different things. And the first one is that I think for the first time in a long time, you're going to have stimulus and fundamental growth rowing in the same direction. I think that's really important. Um, you can look at a lot of different indicators. I like to look at PMI. I think there's evidence of pent-up demand. If you look at new orders minus inventories, that has gone up a lot. That's usually a good indicator of rising S&P 500 earnings. Um, I say that I hate to say this every time I say it, but I'm going to say it again. And maybe the most important thing of all next year is the annual increase in M1 money supply. You know, For the past 50 years, we've been trading in this range of 20% increase to about a 10% decrease. In 2020, M1 money supply increased by almost 70%. So again, I hate to say it, but maybe... That's all that matters in terms of what's going to drive this market. When you take that in combination with some of the improvement I think we're going to see on the fundamental side, I do think it creates this post-recession market pattern that we're used to. And to my point regarding my opening line, I think that leads to a number of different things, one of which is relative outperformance from, from small caps. I, I know flows have been aggressive into the asset class lately, but... I do think the kind of momentum we've seen is actually a good thing for longer term forward returns, but I would play it in a very specific way. So I know IWM is what everybody looks to. Um, I would look to SLY here. There's a very different index construction. SLY is actually just breaking out to the upside. It only has 11% in healthcare versus 20% in IWM, so less exposure to some of those unprofitable biotechs. Um, And just from a valuation perspective, 19 times forward for SLY versus about 30 times forward for IWM. So we want to play small cap actively and passively. If you're going to play it passively, choose SLY.
1: So the Fed's liquidity is still going to be a very powerful force uh, in the new year, I, I think is sort of the, uh, the thing that underpins that prediction. Mike, would you at least agree with that part? And what do you think about Jeff's way of playing small caps?
3: Yeah, well, I think he's hitting on one of the most important elements, which, of course, is that, you know, with monetary policy being what it's been, it's very hard. I mean, we've, we say it again and again, and, of course, we continue to see plenty of evidence of it. But you don't fight central banks. And when you see the monetary supply increase in the way it has done, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to sell risk assets. Right. So despite the valuations, and I know a lot of people have expressed considerable concern about that, you know, think about the last time we saw a material sell off that was unrelated, obviously, to things like the pandemic. You know, I'm thinking mostly of things like Q4 2018. That was basically uh, a tantrum that was set about concerns about decreases in central bank balance sheets. So absent anything like that, uh, I wouldn't expect any kind of a material pullback. So I I think that's one of the things that we should be taking a look at. And the other thing we should be taking a look at is think about rotating into things that haven't seen uh, so much strength and uh, that we have seen towards the end of this year. So that could be the kind of rotation that I would look towards.
1: All right. And we'll get to Mike's prediction in in a moment. We want to go to BK. And I mean, I could have been blindfolded and I could have guessed this one right. Bitcoin, Brian (laughs) Kelly, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And this really dovetails with what Jeff was saying about liquidity. That, and that's exactly it. Jeff,
4: Jeff hit the nail on the head. I don't care what asset class it is. You know, in the middle of March if you told me we were going to be at all-time highs in almost every single risk asset class, I I think a lot of people would have thought that you were crazy, you know? And what happened was every central bank in the world decided to flood the market with money. That's the only lever they have to pull. That's what they did. So now going into 21, ask yourself, is that going to stop? I think the answer is absolutely not. Mike hit it on the head. Look what happened in 2018 when they tried to reduce balance sheets. It's not going to work, they're not going to do it. So now I have every single central bank expanding the supply of the product they have, their quantitative easing. And now I've got this asset class over here that is quantitative tightening. The supply is declining, or or the daily supply is declining. It has a better stock-to-flow ratio than gold, and it's got kind of this upside kicker as a startup. And incidentally, you know, we joke about Bitcoin, it is my single favorite investment, but think about what it's done in the last 10 years. It is the most successful startup of this century without a CEO, without a marketing department, without a headquarters, and everybody can get in. You don't have to get into a VC fund. So to me, that in and of itself is a new story, whether Bitcoin works or not, but I do think the environment
1: that we're in the economic environment is very very good for bitcoin james you've been a bear on the markets but you've been a bull on bitcoin
5: (laughs) well bitcoin is hard to argue especially when you cite the statistics of its upward trajectory over any time period really um but it's a unicorn and the rest of the world has to pay attention to the stock market and understand where the stock market has come and where the stock market can go and my perspective of this is a little broader than 2020. If we look at what happened from March 2009 up until last year this time, it was the strongest bull market in history by far, literally the longest and highest-running stock market on record. And then we had COVID hit. Without COVID, the stock market needed a pause. With COVID, we had a rapid descent, 30 40% declines in the big indexes, and then the real anomaly came a snapback that has taken us to a market valuation that was even higher before the pandemic. And where we sit today, we are literally at levels that have only been touched prior to the biggest market crashes in history. And so my bear suit is with logic of, if we've been here before and we saw a pullback, this is probably imminent. In the last two weeks, we saw the biggest inflow in the global stocks ever, $75 billion over a two week rolling average, The Goldman Sachs sentiment indicator is 1.9. It's a new all-time high. This is stretching a previous high. 62% of respondents to this uh, uh, survey think that the market. We'll move another 10% higher, and the S&P short interest continues to plummet. Uh, We've seen new lows of 1.6% of market cap, and so if you just look at the S&P 500 chart uh, over a 10-year period, you'll see this anomaly that's happened since March where we've gone literally straight up relative to history. It's not sustainable, and I do think uh, it's almost imminent that we're going to see a pullback. That doesn't mean that the whole world's going to come crashing down. It doesn't mean that the market's going to go down forever. It just means that this trajectory that we've had over the recent short Term since March not only is it unprecedented it blows away anything close
1: James we've had you on the show for a few months now and you've been Mm -hmm. saying this for the whole time so we get a lot of tweets believe me I'm sure you get them too how can this guy stick by this uh this bearish prediction and keep seeing the records fly into his face so what do you say to them
5: I say, if they shorted the market six months or twelve months before the 2000, 2007 crash, they would have made money. If they shorted the market six months or twelve months before the 2001 crash, they would have made money. And I would tell them if they shorted the market six months, twelve months, or two years uh, before the 1929 crash, they would have made money. When these crashes come, they take back all the gains from the previous several years. Uh, I'm looking at a time frame of going back to Q1 2016, two, uh, uh, 2016 levels. This isn't calling for the sky to fall. This is just where we are. Uh, And timing is really tricky. And as we look at the market here, um, simply it's never been done before. And so it's a call out that it's overvalued. I don't think it's an understatement. Um, And people continue to chase the highs and so.
1: Well, Jeff, um, I don't know how you feel about James's prediction. Markets overvalued and at risk, those are two separate thoughts. You can still believe the markets are overvalued, but believe this goes on for a while precisely for the theme that you outlined And that is the expansion of monetary policy and the Fed's easy, easy policy right now, interest rate policy.
2: Yeah, no, no question. And, and, you know, we were we were here before early earlier in the year, but we had a global pandemic took the market down. But uh, to James's point, we've had a a rip roaring recovery since then. So it's difficult for risk assets to stay down, especially in the stock market when you have the liquidity backdrop that we do. I think I've cited this statistic before, but when you have seventy plus percent of of large investors like pension funds and other folks who have really high return objectives there's this gravitational pull to the stock market. So you can get these violent drawdowns because valuations are high but it's likely that they're not going to last very long because of the environment that we're in from a policy perspective so there's no doubt that the markets expensive um, and i think valuation does still matter but i think it matters over the very long term so If I'm thinking about what forward returns look like from today out over the next decade, I think it's very hard to argue that they're not going to be significantly below average. I just think using valuation as a timing tool right now, given the setup into 21, um, I I just don't think that that is what's going to drive the market lower.
1: On the flip side, if you are looking for value in this market, Mike, we've got your prediction.
3: Yeah, I, I think actually we're starting to see some rotation into the sector that I like already. We've been seeing it over the course of this last quarter, and that's financials. So this is one of the areas that's kind of been dead money for several years. Certainly it has been relative to the hot performing sectors, and certainly it has been relative to the best performing stocks, many of which we've already heard over the course of the last hour or so, but probably don't need to be mentioned again, but I will. Things like Tesla, names like that, which on a valuation basis you might feel are extended. You know, you compare that and contrast it with names like Morgan Stanley, which is certainly not a rich stock. It's not a rich stock from a historical perspective. It's not a rich stock compared to the market. And of course, these are companies whose financial results are going to be hinged in part on the basis of things like rising asset prices, which it has done. They have a big asset management business. They get paid on the size of the assets that they are managing. So fundamentally, the business seems like it's in pretty good shape. And as long as we don't see things like an inversion of the yield curve, which, of course, if they're going to keep short end curve, end of the curve depressed, that obviously is good. We've seen a relatively strong housing market. That's good on uh, the lending side. And of course, if we do see some kind of reemergence of economic activity in areas like industrials and so on, that could be good for the commercial banking side as well. It's just one of the few places you can look at the mark. James is right. I mean, uh, some of the valuations that we're looking at across across equities are, for many of us, pretty unprecedented unless we go back to the 2000 tech bubble. Uh, but financials is not one of these areas, so it's certainly one of the ones that I like going into the new year.
1: Yeah, and let's separate the same and again. The markets can be overvalued and the markets can be at risk, but that doesn't mean that there aren't pockets of value or opportunity out there. So, Brian Kelly, in terms of financials, where would you go? Mm-hmm. I actually like I like the money manager. So, you know, you want to talk Morgan
4: Stanley. You think about it, they've gotten lumped in with the, with the rest of the banks but the biggest part of their business is if asset prices go higher, they're going to benefit from that. So they've kind of gotten lumped in and their valuations are lower than they otherwise would be in a market which valuation is, we can all say it's high. You know, And again, you know, this can go higher. We have the largest unprecedented monetary policy in history. It would stand to reason that that would blow the largest financial bubble in history. So we may have a lot more room to go. I don't know. Um, But I do like in in the financials, I would stick with the money managers.
1: All right. Our next guest sees three stocks getting ready for takeoff in the new year. Let's go off the charts with technician Bill Baruch, president of Blue Line Capital. Um, So Bill, walk us through what you see.
6: Thank you. Happy New Year, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. um, The three stocks I'm looking at, and I'm taking this from a a viewpoint here that my job as a portfolio manager isn't to create wealth but add value and preserve wealth. And and so let's start off with Chewy here. Chewy had had a meteoric rise throughout the year, really had a a, um, sort of a COVID stock, but it's taken a big hit here uh, in the last week. We've seen a lot of air come out after the reopening, some some of the uh, coming out of lockdowns, the vaccine news, but really, this stock I think is here for the long run, and it's coming into an area of value. I love being long this stock. You know, as, as low as seventy-five bucks, anywhere from here down to seventy-five. I think, I think there's tremendous support. Uh, again, revolution revolutionizing how you're going to take care of, uh, of your of your dog, um, and, and the the the, the uh, medicines even much cheaper coming from there too. So. There's a 382 retracement coming into the 75 bucks. That's a big support level, and and I think there's again, it's going to respond to those initial high. The next stock is, is Salesforce. If you, I've been on here before talking about sales, Salesforce, it's a stock that I really love, and I think it needs to be in your portfolio. Um, they, they, the Slack acquisition really hurt it this over the past uh, month. But ultimately, I think you're going to see it come out of there. It's a great acquisition. I use Slack uh, with my company. I love I love the, the software there. And the, the soft quarter for guidance actually could really open the door. For, for a really well performance coming into the first half of next year. I think that is really a great a great way to look at it. And then you got the technical support here at 220. This is a 3.82 retracement, covered in the 3.82 retracement as well with Chewy. That's a big area. When a market is in a bull trend, it holds that 3.82 retracement on pullback. As as well, you have the gap from the August 28th uh, pre-earnings close. So a lot of support in there. And even, even if it gets down to the 50%, right around 200, That's a big round number, a lot of support down there. I expect that to perform. And as we diversify out a little bit, looking at Dow Incorporated, this has broken out above a trend line from where it was spun out. And it's lingering right on $55 right now. It is in a breakout, arguably, above that trend line. You now have some good support down at 50 to 52 as a rising trend line coming out of this wedge pattern. Still hasn't made a new high from from that spin out above 60 bucks so we still have some work to do there but you're getting a five percent dividend in this stock too good technical tailwinds but again that five percent dividend is a great way to diversify right now as you're looking uh to to add value to a portfolio but remember infrastructure spending from the new from the new administration strong asian demand there's a good fundamental story here behind this stock as well
1: hey bill um which of these stocks if any are supported by positive uh indicators on the charts for their industries
6: well, I, I like the materials right now. I think this is really an undervalued sector. Materials, industrials as well. Industrials had a big move over the past, say, 30, 60 days. But I think materials, you get a little of inflation and infrastructure spending. You know, I, I think that is really going to be a great sector that's going to perform through 2021 in a lot of value and good dividends.
1: All right, Bill, great to see you. Thank you, Bill Baruch. Uh, Jeff Mills, Bill provided us with a menu of stocks that he says will uh, blast off in the new year. Do you like any of these?
2: I like the Dow call. You know, to our our previous discussion about valuation, you know, you don't want to buy the market with both hands kind of across the board, right? I do think picking your spots is important when we're at the levels we are today. And I think Dow is a company where you can find some value. I think it fits with my theme overall of sort of accelerating global growth next year in this recovery. I do think it's interesting that you have 65 to 70 percent of revenues outside of the U.S., so it is a weak dollar beneficiary as well. And I agree on the chart. It looks like it wants to break above that 55 level, and I think if it does, it continues higher.
1: It didn't really get chewy, Brian Kelly. I don't know. You've got dogs, so maybe you understand that story better. I mean, I, the technical chart may look good, but this, this has benefited from people being at home.
4: Yeah, but I think it benefits from people going away because you want to make sure you treat your dog well. So I saw, if you indulge me, a quick story. I saw a hilarious cartoon the other day. Two panels, two friends commiserating 2020, worst year of my life. Cut to the other panel, their dogs saying 2020, best year of my life. My human was around all the time. I still think that if you're going back to work, you're going to want to make sure you treat your dog well. I know BK is, and I think, you know, at 75 bucks, that's really good risk reward right there. You've had this run
1: up. If you can get that back to the $75 level, I think it's pretty interesting. All right. Coming up, a semi-surge, huge moves higher in a couple of chip stocks today. What's behind the action and where they're going from here? Plus, ready for takeoff. How high one options trader thinks this airline ETF can go before the end of Q1? You're going to want to pay attention to this one. Fast money's back in two.
5: You seek the key.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. semi socks going out with a bang. Chipmaker Western Digital soaring more than 11% today. Micron, which reports quarterly numbers next Tuesday. And Intel also grabbing some big gains. So uh, let's dive into, into this sector. There was a report today uh, on Bloomberg saying that Samsung and SK Hynix were going to cut back or keep CapEx on DRAM stable, effectively, um, on a year-on-year basis. It would look like a decline in CapEx spending on DRAM, which is, in theory, good for a Western Digital as well as a Micron. Mike What do you like in this space, if anything?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I'm going to look at it a little bit from an options perspective. I mean, the options markets definitely were very bullish on Western Digital. I mean, obviously, we could see that in the increase in the share price. I think it was up more than 10% today. But a lot of these names also were seeing some bullish activity going further out, expecting basically today's rally to persist into the future. Western Digital, I think. Traded, you know, some multiple close to three or four times the average daily call volume. Which, and this normally trades pretty good volume to begin with. So we're looking at 70 to 80,000 calls traded on Western Digital bullish flow going out about 90 days or so. You know, the other thing I would say is that we have some product cycle basically uh, going on here. And I think this is going to be beneficial across the space. I mean, uh, you know, we're not really looking at this particular uh, area necessarily today the GPU makers and so on. We were talking about it yesterday. Things like Nvidia and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm also very curious. You know, I'm wondering whether uh, other kind of chip uh, companies like Intel might actually get their mojo back. They're probably going to need to do uh, some pretty serious uh, rethinking of their business. And I think Dan Loeb is looking into that and trying to pressure them to do exactly that. Maybe getting a focus back on engineering and making the kinds of products that their customers actually want to buy. But I do think that there is some potential continued strength in the space going into the new year.
1: James, is Intel going to be a turnaround story in 21?
5: It's been so choppy this year. You have to look at Intel. And, you know, this is one of those monsters from the 90s and 2000s. and. This is a company that's going to survive this process, but I don't think it's going to find the favor that a Western Digital or a Micron will. There's just so much more upside potential uh, in these hot companies. Western Digital is also a bit of a turnaround play, uh, but its trajectory is mostly positive here. And what I like about Western Digital uh, is you're seeing even volume across the the full uh, last two quarters, uh, whereas Micron and Intel also show... Um, uh, peaks and valleys in terms of their volume, but I like the consistency behind Western Digital. So if I have to pick in this space, I think this 10% pop that we saw today is somewhat of a clue, 11% actually, uh, is somewhat of a clue in terms of where the money's gonna go into this space. And so of the three, I think Western Digital is a solid one over Intel and Micron.
1: Jeff, stick with what's working in chips or do you go for that turnaround potential?
2: I think you stick with what's working. I've been a little hesitant on Intel. I like the idea of Dan Lowe being involved. You know, I think then he takes a look at the business, kind of redefining the R&D process and really setting up that company for growth going forward. Um, but at the same time, I think that that could take some time. Um, so I'd prefer to stick with what's working. I think just generally, I mentioned this last night during the 6 o'clock hour, you know, investors still want growth here. As much as I like that cyclical trade, I don't think growth's going to fall out of bed. I just think it's growth at any price might fall out of bed. So I mentioned kind of the new GARP growth, a relatively reasonable price and I think semis are just that if you look at the SMH trading at 24 times forward earnings so I like the space generally and and I like to stick with the momentum names
1: BK do you have a a cartoon related reference to make in this discussion (laughs) of chips you know what I'll
4: tell you what so when BK goes and gets soft serve ice cream he likes to get the swirl or the twist Mm. and so in this case I think you can actually have all three. So your vanilla is your Western Dig and your micron. That's your momentum trade. But where you're going to get the real flavor? The chocolate. And that's going to be Intel. All Dan Loeb has to do is figure out one little thing. The way the stock has traded in the low 40s for the last two years, one little thing will pop this thing up higher. And that's your chocolate flavor.
1: How's it, that? this in a cone or a cup?
4: Oh, I
1: I personally like it in a cone with Jimmy's on top. (laughs) Jimmy's. That would be sprinkles. Jimmy's is very regional. All right, we're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
4: It's been a big year for markets, and a couple of stocks are leading the charge. But does that continue after the ball drops? We'll play one last round of trade it or fade it for 2020 to set you up for the new year. And later, ringing in the new year is a lot different this time around. What it means for the hard-hit restaurant industry as it looks to rebound in 2021. We've got that and a lot more
7: when Fast Money returns.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. A couple of key stocks helping the S&P climb to records at the end of the year. Take a look at the moves in Tesla, Disney, Visa, Take-Two, all of which hit all-time highs in just the past 24 hours. So in true Fast Money fashion, we thought it'd be a great time to play a little...
9: Trade it or fade it.
1: That's right. Trade it or fade it, the game you know and you love. It's the final edition of the year tears coming to my eye uh, let's kick things off A tesla up a whopping 750 percent this year hitting another all-time high today brian kelly trade it or fade it
4: well i'll tell you nobody is going to uh, blame you if you take some money off the table up 700 percent. but bk is going to trade it which means buy it i believe i've played this game a couple times so i think it means buy it the great thing about stocks at, at all-time highs everybody in it has a profit so your supply response doesn't come for a bit as well with tesla you know i still happen to think that they've got a lot more room to grow but it is not without risk elon musk is a genius he's an eccentric genius which means sometimes he does things that may be not great for the shareholder in the short term so be aware of that but i
1: i still trade tesla he had an interview uh... with the ceo of axel springer which is the publishing german publishing company He actually talked about the possibility of buying another company he said no you know we wouldn't do a hostile takeover. But if a company said, hey, we want to sell to you, he would say, you know what, we'll take a look. So uh, Elon Musk is definitely out there. Very, I mean, fascinating uh, guy. Jeff Mills, what do you say about Tesla?
2: So I'm gonna, I'm gonna fade it here. I mean, obviously the momentum, it's hard to ignore, but I'm gonna plagiarize two of our esteemed Fast Money colleagues, Carter Worth, and then Dan Nathan. You know, first of all, just from a technical perspective, talked about this last night. You've had this pop consolidation, pop consolidation pattern over and over again. I think this is the fourth or fifth time it's happened this year. So I think you're going to end up with a consolidation period over the next number of months. So you probably get a lot of backing and filling around that 590 to 710 level. So I wouldn't necessarily be chasing the stock here higher. Uh, and also at a $660 billion market cap, it's greater than the entire global auto industry. Uh, it has just 1% market share. So Not that fundamentals necessarily matter, but I I don't understand the stock. I haven't understood the stock. I haven't bought it, uh, and I'm not going to buy it here.
1: All right. Let's get to uh, Disney now. It is up just 25% this year. What kind of year are we in? Just 25%. Mike, trade it or fade it?
3: (laughs) Yeah, Disney, I'm going to trade this one. And actually, you know, one of the things that BK was just talking about, and this is a stock actually that all things considered, considering how much their business has been hurt by what's going on. I mean, obviously, the parks have been significantly impacted. They have uh, a cruise business that's been significantly impacted. You've got the movie theaters. Obviously, that's going to have some impact on the on that part of their business. And yet the company has been doing pretty well. Disney Plus, I think, was a really positive rollout. It's kind of interesting to me. You know, you have this this spectrum in the streaming space between Disney and then the HBO Uh, max offerings. They're sort of bracketing it in terms of pricing. But, you know, I can say from our own household that there's uh, a lot of demand for the Disney Plus offering. And I think once you start to see some of those other businesses come back, that's one of the things that could continue to support the stock. This historically has been one of the best performing companies over the long term. And I think that could continue if they can just get back on track. We get the pandemic behind us. So uh, I, I think we would trade Disney here. fave disney and i'll tell you why you know
5: disney is a great company it's a great business it's a great brand uh but they depend on the economy being open if you look at the business itself uh parks and products which are 23 percent of revenue uh they're taking massive hits and that's not going away and then if you look at the energy in the stock right now, the enthusiasm in it, it's about Disney plus the streaming channel. The streaming channel benefits from the Disney products. We know that content is a good thing from Netflix. We know that Disney's brand is strong, but we also know from Netflix that the tailwind that COVID gated from more people watching and checking in and driving action to that in, uh, to that channel uh, comes and goes, and so it's very possible that the Disney Plus phenomena fades uh, when the next new thing comes in. And Disney is vulnerable; they don't have a Fed overseas to support those businesses. Um, their international segment is 24% of revenue, and so I think there's more downside potential risk for this stock than there is upside, despite the great brand and despite the streaming.
1: All right. Let's get to Visa. It's up sixteen percent this year, hitting its intraday record yesterday. So back to you, James. Trade or fade Visa?
5: Uh, I'm going to have to fade Visa. And you know the thing with Visa is it's got a monopoly uh, in the online debit card services. is great. Market share of more than seventy percent. Um, this is not good for business, though. Uh, DOJ blocked its uh, five point three billion dollar acquisition of plate. Antitrust is a the thing. They face billion-dollar payouts in the UK, um, the competition from MasterCard and Visa, this is going to give us pressure over to uh, EPS over the next few years, and they reported a 23% drop in fourth-quarter earnings. This is a big deal, and so I think that there's more pressure uh, and more risk around this stock than there is upside, Uh, just too big to um, succeed in this environment, I believe. You know, for,
4: for me on Visa, Melissa, it, it, this is about digital payments. I mean, well, the one thing that the pandemic has done is really proved that digital payments are here to stay, whether it's, you know, on the fintech space or whether it's something just as simple as your plastic credit card. And frankly, the U.S. is woefully behind the rest of the world in terms of fin- financial technology and credit card technology. And I think Visa stands right in the middle of this. And I don't think that this is going to change after the
1: pandemic so just to make sure i keep up with the game trade it all right very good bk finally stay at home winner take two it's up nearly 70 percent this year jeff
2: so this is going to sound like a trade but i'll get to the fade in a second so i do think it's one (laughs) of these companies that's going to grow over a multi-year period you know they have the content slate they have grand theft auto and nba 2k Uh, they just signed a multi-year agreement with the nfl so i think that first game is coming out next year They're growing into mobile. They have the Social Point acquisition. They're going to do more M&A. I just worry about 2021. You know, I think earnings are expected to be largely flat next year, and they're trading at 36 times forward. I think you can find better value in Activision and EA.
3: Yeah, I like Take-Two, though. I mean, this is one of those things where it's kind of hard to bet, bet against the theme. I take a look at what's going on. Uh, You know, within my own household, GTA, NBA, 2K, both of these are very popular here, so I I expect that to continue. And one of the things is, when they have that kind of user engagement, all of these game makers have really found good ways to sort of monetize that engagement. It's not like it used to be, where it's a sort of a one-time thing, and then you wait for a refresh. So when I take a look at it, I think this is a, a real positive, you know, GTA is certainly an example of this, if you take a look at the way that game is structured. so. I mean, I am a little bit concerned about the valuation, as I am concerned about valuations generally. Uh, But the theme is working, and I think you stick with it.
1: All right, so trade it. (laughs) Coming up, we've got one more bonus edition of Fast Money coming your way, and you won't want to miss it. There's still time to send us questions. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We'll get you some answers. But first, the general is winding up for a fast pitch on one biotech name he thinks could be a total home run. We'll tell you what it is right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. You're looking live at Times Square in New York City, a lot lonelier than it normally is on New Year's Eve. No crazy crowds and more than one restaurant closing its doors. Among them, Applebee's, whose New Year's extravaganza is off the menu this year. But rather than signaling the demise of the restaurant industry, our next guest says we are currently going through a reset. Apple Metro CEO Zane Tangle joins us. Zane, great to see you. Happy New Year to you.
7: Well, thank you so much, Melissa. See, there's a smile under here.
1: <laughs> I believe it, Zane. I believe it. We normally see you on set at the NASDAQ, and you bring lots of treats for us. This year, it's quite different. So um, is anything going on at your location in Times Square?
7: No, we have not opened that, Melissa, since March. It has been shuttered as well as uh our 50th Street restaurant, they have not opened. We have 23 restaurants open, mm-hmm. which is probably many more than anyone else in the New York metropolitan area. But uh, those two have never reopened from the shutdown.
1: Uh, you got a unique perspective because not only I mean, we know you as a guy who runs Applebee's basically across the street from where we normally broadcast, um, but you also invest in various other restaurant concepts. You've got a pizza chain um, you've got a private equity hat on as well. Uh, and so what yep. do you foresee for the industry in, in 2021, especially as we see so many restaurants across the country, and particularly in New York City, close their doors? Is that good yep. for the ones that, that are survivors?
7: Well, you know, it's it's heartbreaking, but there's always winners and losers in every event, and certainly in a crisis. But, Melissa, there's four parts of the restaurant industry. It's not monogamous. There's fast food and food. Uh, fast casual casual dining which we are and then quick serve and each one comes out of it i suspect differently uh quick serve fast food of which i am in private equity i'm a director of a company that has about 300 fast food units uh they haven't been affected nearly as much fast casual they and as you move up the chain ironically you're more affected so fast casual is the model says there got to be a lot of people one behind the other as they go down and pick their food out. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have that as of now. So that's got to be a readjustment. Casual dining, which we are, which is table service, um, we've got to figure out how, how are we going to survive? How are we going to have a piece of that restaurant slice? And the biggest challenge, of course, is fine dining. Will they ever be what they once were? Will they ever be able to come back? Because think about this, Melissa. What do they offer? Atmosphere. There's no atmosphere with to go. There's no atmosphere with social distancing. There's no atmosphere with a mask. I put this mask on to start with to show you. You can't see one's expression, and how does one project hospitality and and warmth when their face is covered? So let me talk to airspace. Well, or the all of it really yeah. deals Thank with you. contactless and a, a new a new a barometer is sanitation. Right. How comfortable how comfortable will a guest feel with masks, gloves, washing your hands and will they put their life at risk to come in and when inside opens again across the country, how comfortable will a guest come in and not know the person sitting next to them whether they're in the asymptomatic carrier or not? Right. Forever. Forever, not just for you know. People ask me how long will this go on? Mm-hmm. How long? And 9/11, which I, by the way, was a volunteer on that pile, getting body parts. 9/11 happened to three, two buildings in New York City, and everyone said, "How long will TSA be in existence?" Forever. <laughs> right. Forever. Who can go through an airport anywhere in the world with? Out going through a TSA. So how long will COVID-19 impact the restaurant business? Forever.
1: Right. Zane, uh, it's always great to get your insights. I hope next New Year's Eve we'll be back at the NASDAQ. You'll come on in person and we'll see the smile. Zane Tankle. And we'll have a
7: toast together. We'll exactly. have a toast together. Thank <laughs> Zane you Zane so
1: Tankle, nice to see you. Um, Brian Kelly, your outlook for restaurants, Zane, made a very poignant statement. The restaurant industry will be changed forever because of this. And I guess the question that we have to tackle with is um, in what way and and what are the trades for next year?
4: Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. I mean, Zane is a brilliant operator. What a lot of people don't know is Zane gets most of his exercise on New Year's Eve, running between his restaurants and then feeding us some fantastic food on set. So hopefully he's on the bike this year. Uh, nonetheless, I do think restaurants have changed forever. The bigger firms are going to get it. You're starting to see that trend. Anybody with a drive through is really doing well. And plus, if you can do that drive through business, you can shrink the footprint. We saw that Starbucks said they're going to start doing that. So I think that's going to be, you look for those companies in 2021 that are shrinking their footprint, shrinking their real estate cost, and doing the drive through Starbucks
1: is probably the favorite in that. All right. Coming up, a recent trade suggesting this turbulent group may be clear for takeoff in 2021. We have the details ahead. And catch us for 2020's final bonus hour of Fast Money. We're answering your stock market questions at the top of the hour. Have a question? Tag our Twitter handle, at CNBC Fast Money. We will be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money, a trio of airline stocks pulling back on the final day of the year. But Mike spotted some options activity that could signal that this group of stocks is ready for takeoff. Mike, what would you
3: see? Yeah, I was taking a look at JETS. This is the ETF that tracks the U.S., actually the the global airline industry. That includes all of the major airlines. It actually includes some of the manufacturers as well. Uh, This was a name that saw more than two times the average daily call volume today, and where that was concentrated was the March 27 calls. Over 20,000 of those traded. And this wasn't just retail flow. That included a block of 4,000 calls that traded for about 60 cents. Now, this is one of the few tickers that we could take a look at that is actually still down considerably on the year, down about 29% year to date. And that level that they've chosen, which means it would have to get above 2760 just to break even, would put jets firmly back into territory it hasn't seen since the end of February. So this is basically a play on a pretty much a significant and full recovery in this space. And so this is uh, definitely a recovery trade coming out of the pandemic trade. And they're looking for this to occur uh, sometime in the next three months.
1: James, you like airlines?
5: So when we go back to normal, and Jets is one of our recovery plays, we like going into this market when we get to near to bottoms and buying things that are going to come back. I like the application of an index-focused approach. We don't know what's happening in the boardrooms, which ones are going to liquidate, which ones are going to lay off. So it's a good thing to buy Jets. I like Jets, but I like Jets after we get back to reopen. That's a really bold bet uh, that they're going to come up seven points here in a short period.
1: It's hard to figure out when the markets are going to think that sort of back to normal has happened. And wouldn't the markets, Brian Kelly, anticipate the back to normal as opposed to wait for the back to normal to arrive?
4: Well, the market's been anticipating back to normal since (laughs) the May lows. Yeah, Uh, true. So, you know, for
1: me, I'm a seller of Jets. All right. Um, You know what? Let's find out if if the viewers were buying General Mills' fast pitch on CryoPort. I was just looking at this. You got the right temperature, Jeff. 52% of voters were, in fact, buying your pitch. What a way to close out the year. Clean sweep with the traders, and you won the public over. Time for the final trade now. Let's go around the horn. Jeff, kick it off.
2: All right, CryoPort, no surprise there. Exposure (laughs) to regenerative medicine. Without having to know what drug gets approved, I think that's the key. And it's just broad exposure to a really rapidly growing market. CryoPort.
1: James.
5: S&P hit a new 52-week high. This means volatility is under pressure. I like UVXY you're still.
3: Mike Coe. I like financial, specifically Morgan Stanley. I think it's one of the few value plays you can have here. Brian Kelly.
4: You know, so gold has been a bit of a lagger, and I've always said, if you're a millennial, you buy Bitcoin. If you're a boomer, you buy gold. I straddle right in the middle of those two, but I think you buy some
1: GLD for the new year. All right, that does it for this hour of Fast Money, but don't despair. We've got one last bonus hour left for 2020, so do not go anywhere. A very special edition of Fast Starts right after this break. Mad Money fans, Kramer's off tonight, but you are in luck because it's New Year's Eve and the Fast Money Party will keep on rocking. We want to hear from you. We are answering all your questions about the hottest stocks you're trading right now. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We might just answer your question live on the air. Your traders tonight, Brian Kelly, Mike Cohen, James McDonald. All right, we're primed and ready to go. So let's get right to it. Our first viewer question is on Amazon.
8: Congratulations to the entire Fast Money team on uh, great 2020 and here is to a wonderful 2021 the question today is on Amazon. Do you think that the stock has more room to run in 2021, given its foreign to financial services, pharma and its uh, near monopoly in, in web services and retail?
1: A good question from Sankar. Brian Kelly, what do you tell him? Yeah, I, I'm with you. And,
4: and to a great 21 to you as well. I, I would say the thing about Amazon is, yes, it, there, we, it benefited from the pandemic one might argue it was the great amazon relief act that happened Uh, but i would say they're also pivoting a bit and the one thing we discovered about amazon is that small and medium businesses are really starting to ramp up on there so now they become amazon becomes a way a digital platform for small and medium businesses and i think you'll see that into 21 as well as the other kind of monopoly businesses, the pharma, everything else that Amazon is doing, I think there's a lot of levers for them to pull going into 21.
1: Yeah, BK likes those levers. Uh, James McDonald, do you like an Amazon that's more focused in terms of selling goods and cloud services, or do you like that kind of Amazon that Sankar's talking about going into these businesses uh, like pharma, uh, trying to break up industries that that are already existing?
5: I love Amazon, I think this is an extraordinarily successful business. Uh, At these price levels though I'm cautious, you know it took Amazon and it's Wonderful, wonderful run over the last four years. It took them two years to double from 16 to 18. It took them two years to double from 18 to here. Uh, are we going to continue to go higher? Probably, but it's going to be at a more relaxed pace. If you look at the 18 uh, to 19 movement in the stock before we had this pandemic tailwind, uh, things kind of slowed down. I think they're vulnerable to a general market pullback, but I think it's a strong company. Uh, and I would definitely place an investment in Amazon for the long term.
1: We've got a couple of these sort of uh, pandemic benefiting stocks stocks um, in the next few minutes, Mike. And I think that the question that investors are grappling with is how much business are they going to be able to retain in 2021 with a march back to normal? If we are back to normal, won't it be even even if it's a high fraction of the business they did in 2020, can it support the valuation they've achieved?
3: so you know it's it's interesting because we're talking about what you know i don't call it a pivot necessarily it's sort of add-on and additional businesses that amazon has added over time i mean this was a one-time bookseller then an everything seller and then a cloud services provider and now into distribution i mean this every single thing that they've added actually is another avenue for growth and i really don't see that you know basically the kind of activity that we've seen in amazon this year is necessarily going to slow a great deal on a reopening i mean we're, we're not even thinking about possibly things like groceries which is obviously one of the areas we look at at other retailers the bricks and mortar retailers like target and walmart we talk about that they acquired whole foods amazon did so you know i think fundamentally this is a business that continues to move in the right direction but to james's point you know the valuation we typically look at uh... amazon because they've been so growth oriented uh... as an enterprise value to EBITDA business and right now the multiple there is is pretty high i mean i think it's trading something like fifty times uh... thirty is probably more what we are used to seeing. So I think it's kind of a, a testy level to get into it. But fundamentally, I think uh, they're gonna remain strong.
1: All right, we are now uh, zooming into a big work from home winter question next.
7: Hey, thanks for taking my call. This is Bob Morozak and I'm down in Normandy Beach, New Jersey, uh, just loving it. Got a question here on Zoom. Uh, situation is they reported a very good second quarter followed by a 70 point drop the next day. And it's been in a turmoil ever since. So understanding there is the profits from the right side of the virus and there's the profits from the right side of being at stay at home. So is that causing this or is there something else? And would you buy it here? Thanks.
1: Before we get to the traders, let's bring in Kate Rogers for a look on how the work from home trades are doing. Hey, Kate. Hey Melissa, well if you're anything like me, it's been a year of business on the
0: top and mostly leggings on the bottom as so many of us work remotely during the pandemic and as a result, certain stocks got a real boost thanks to that stay at home play. So first off, you can't talk 2020 without mentioning Zoom, of course, it defined the year with everything from meetings to school to happy hours all taking place online. That stock has soared this year up nearly 400% year to date. Cloud company DocuSign also saw big gains up almost 200% for the year. With gyms closing around the country multiple times throughout the year, Peloton shares also went through the roof as Americans invested in their home workout systems. That stock up over 430% year-to-date, and to think, this time last year all we could talk about was that Peloton commercial. And onto Netflix, seeing big gains despite fierce competition, In the streaming wars, particularly from Disney+, Plus as it racked up subscribers, still Netflix up over 65% year-to-date. And finally, Chewy getting a big boost of more than 200% gains as Americans stayed home with their pets. And so many rescued and brought home new animals, particularly dogs, to keep them company during the pandemic. One silver lining in this very challenging year. Happy New Year, Melissa. Back over to you. No cameo from Ollie, Kate? It's New Year's Eve. He is locked away. he's, (laughs) He's... Too loud he's too involved he's
1: in another room (laughs) all right kate thank you (laughs) say hi to ollie kate rogers thank you um let's get back to zoom and answer bob uh bob's question james what do you say
5: bob here's the thing if you look at correlations if you look at a chart of the rate of infections of covid and you look at zoom you're going to see perfect correlation you're going to see the moving block step up until the last quarter The virus infections kept going and then the vaccine came in and money has come straight out of this thing. Uh, I think that that is going to continue. I think that the excitement in this was based on our inability to go back to work. I think competition comes in. Um, I would let go by position here.
1: Um, Brian Kelly, what do you say about Zoom? Uh, Well, I say that I've switched the
4: leggings as well for most of this year as Kate Rogers had. (laughs) Uh, and that is because of Zoom. However, as we get back to a more professional environment, it's unlikely I will be able to wear those leggings, nor will I be using Zoom as much. I don't think it's going away. I think there's a ton of competition coming into the space, particularly from Google and their meetups. So I just think the stock Zoom probably got way ahead of what Zoom is actually going to do?
1: You can't unsee certain things. That's for sure, Brian Kelly. Michael, what do you have to Happy say? Happy New Year.
3: <laughs> first, first of all, I mean, Brian Kelly, wear leggings? I don't think so. You don't wear socks most of the time. You're running around in, in loafers with no socks, even in the dead of winter. So I have that's a hard time believing you're sporting yeah. leggings in the comfort of your living room. Here's the thing, though. I mean, I, I think James is right on point here. Uh, this, you know, this was obviously a stock that benefited from everybody else's bad news, but there is competition here. Uh, Alphabet is providing it and they're improving their offering there. Uh, Microsoft, I think, is a place I would much rather be and they have a similar offering and and great resources. And of course, Cisco could always turn around some of their products that are related in the space. The Zoom guys came from Cisco and the WebEx team. So, you know, to me, on a valuation basis, I would say no. On a reopening basis, I would say no. And besides which, there are better ways to play it, I think. So, no.
1: All right. Let's take a look at another one of those work from home names. This one's going to make a sweat.
8: The pandemic has changed a lot of everyday activities to include fitness.
4: A lot of people have invested in home gyms. My question is about Peloton. Is the stock still worth owning after the acquisition of Precor plus their subscription based
1: model? Good question. Mike, what do you say?
3: Yeah, so this is an interesting case here because I mean I, I would probably say that on a valuation basis and on a reopening basis maybe not, except that uh, you know my experience with people who have bought these things and I know a lot of people who have is that they absolutely love them and I know that they're sticking with these subscriptions. So that model seems to be working. And the thing is, even once we do reopen, those machines are still going to be sitting in whatever part of the house they put them in, and they feel compelled to use them, and it's a healthcare thing. So if you sort of really get into the use of it. Uh, I think there is some measure of persistence that could exist even as we come out of this because you know people who were going to Orange Theory, going to the gym, uh, might actually decide that if they can interact with people, and that's a critical part of making sure that you keep working out, they might continue to do it at home. So this might not necessarily fold up the way some other stay-at-home trades would.
1: Yeah, you can take live classes or pre-taped classes. So James, where do you stand on Peloton?
5: I'm sorry, this is way overvalued, a P-E ratio of almost 2,000. Think about that. Uh, every health and fitness company that's come with a new innovation, that's hit hot splash popularity, uh, it's a trend that comes and goes. And I think this stock is well, way, way, way up. We had extreme situations which caused its popularity. Um, and when things go back to normal, people aren't going to flock to this to keep the P.E. ratio, uh, uh, even feasible. And so I think this is a stock that comes down in the next year.
4: BK? I don't know. BK did a, one of those Tabata rides earlier today. And he thinks he's going to do it for the rest of the year. I like the stock. I, I think people stick with it. I think you, you know, the subscription model is good. The challenge is that they're going to have to be able to raise revenue by doing add-ons, but they lock you into that ecosystem very similar to what Apple did, and I think people stick with it.
1: Coming up, who was the biggest, the biggest winner from the say-at-home trade? Dogs, of course, what the traders think about Chewy's big rally. We are back right after this. Welcome back to this bonus hour of Fast Money. Our next question gives us something else to
2: Chewy on. Happy New Year from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Chewy.com has been one of my top stocks this year. I love the pet industry and think Chewy has a great model for customer lifetime value. As we look to 2021, I'm wondering how we should think about valuing Chewy versus other growth stocks and if it's a time when I should increase my position uh, or just hold on to it. Thanks. Thanks.
1: That is an interesting question to compare it to other growth stocks. BK, in the 5 o'clock hour fast money, we had Bill Baruch on saying that the technicals look good for Chewy. And you said you Mm -hmm. liked it. You're a dog dad. So what do you think versus other growth stocks of Chewy?
4: Yeah, so versus other growth stocks, it might be if I had to do, you know, what I think there's a game called Would You You Rather Rather or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's not going to listen. Chewy's not going to have the growth that it had during the pandemic. That was a very unique time. That being said, I don't think that the growth necessarily, the growth may decelerate, but it doesn't stop. I think, you know, it became very clear that it's very convenient to use it. You set up automatic subscriptions, that's fairly easy, as well as you can get your uh, dog's drugs on that, whatever pharmaceuticals they might take. So I think that continues. Um, So I, I wouldn't add to it, but I certainly, if you've got a winner in this one, let it ride.
1: James, you like to speak out against highly valued stocks. So I'm not even going to ask you what your thoughts are on Chewy because I could guess. You don't like it. But what is your top growth stock for 21?
5: Wow, you put me on the spot here. Um, I'm going to go to an index strategy, and I think that any of the ARK complex ETFs uh, would be a good bet. Um, I like their fintech play. I like their disruptive automobile play. And so let's go with that one. Let's go with the ARC investment in autonomous vehicles.
1: All right. Mike Coe, what are your thoughts on Chewy?
3: Yeah, I mean, I you know, sometimes I sound like a value player, sometimes a growth player. You know, this one, the, the valuation is a little bit hard uh, for me to get my arms around, mostly because I'm just trying to figure out how big the moat is. So, you know, it, is this not a business that other competitors could conceivably get into that are well positioned and will they then be able to actually establish the kind of margins that would justify you know the 38 billion dollar valuation that the company currently uh, carries so it's not that I don't think the company is going to grow I believe it will it's not that I don't think they provide a good service I believe that they do it's just that they're going to have to do something pretty remarkable to essentially basically continue to grow the share price, which I think is what the viewer was really asking about. So you can hang on to the shares that you hold, but I wouldn't be adding to my position here.
1: Yeah. If you saw big growth in uh, 2020, the comps in 2021 are just going to get real hard. All right. Let's stick with the consumer here. Our next question hits the bullseye.
7: I'm David Martin from Oaks, Michigan. My question is about Target TGT. Recently, it's been acting like a contrarian stock, moving up when the market moves down and down when the market moves up. My question is, what's your prediction for the coming market and is Target a good long position to take?
1: James, what do you tell David? I mean, you, you've already predicted that the market's going to be at risk, but do you like Target even in that context?
5: I like that you're handicapping uh, me on everything I say because of my bear suit. I've got to try on something different. Um, I like Target. I like Target because it's not too expensive at 23 P.E. Uh, In this environment, I think the point was made at the top of the previous show that not everything uh, is on fire, not everything uh, is bad. There are specific pockets of value and when we look at how far the market has come, we can attribute half of the gains in the S&P to a handful of companies. Now having said that, Target found its footing uh, in it's this crisis with its online ability and it being one of the select stores that was allowed to stay open during the peak of the crisis. I think Target has strengthened itself. Um, and I actually like it here uh, at a 24 PE. I don't think that the, it's going to be immune to, uh, to a sell off, but I think it's reasonably priced here.
1: Mike Co.
3: Yeah, I like Target. And, uh, you know, I would just say, look. They, they're obviously showing that they can migrate to a new economy. They are doing that very effectively. They sell the things that people need and want. The valuation is good, and they're a relatively safe place to be. So I like Target.
1: There you would you rather, BK? Since you love that game, seemingly you forget the, you, I you do. forget what it's I called. Uh, Walmart or Target?
4: <laughs> oh, Target. Target, and this is a valuation. I'm generally not a big valuation player, but I think Target has the chance to grow into what Walmart became. They're, they were a bit behind on the digital. They really got, got it going this year. So Target, right. I would rather. We are
1: stocking up on the consumer question, so here's another.
4: Hi, Fast
9: Money. Happy New Year. I would like to know if you would sell Mo Altria and invest in PG, Procter & Gamble,
1: Mike Coe, what do you tell him?
3: Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about stocks that might be a little bit more immune if we did start to see some volatility in the beginning of the year. Uh, You know, PG's valuation is a little bit higher than it has been historically, but in the context of rates and everything else that we're seeing, at 25 times, it's a little bit cheaper, actually, than the market overall. It has a beta of about 0.7. So if we do see some volatility, this will be less volatile. It pays a decent dividend uh you know what you see is what you get i mean procter and gamble obviously benefited a little bit from what's been going on but uh, i think this is one of the places that's actually safest to keep your money in terms of equities right now james
1: uh
3: as a recent person who quit
1: smoking
5: i have to say yes switch from anything uh from mo but with procter and gamble all the points are made you have a good dividend uh, you have a good business to supply all the needs that will go and that will grow from a COVID environment Um, And at 26 PE, it's okay here. I think Procto & Gavel is a good business going forward. They sell just about everything.
1: They certainly do. Um, You know, Brian Kelly, the stock has come down from its highs a little bit, uh, and and it seems to be leveling off. Maybe that works in its favor.
4: Yeah, I think it does. It, you know, It works, works in the risk-reward favor as well because you've got this consolidation period that you can at least shoot against the lows on that. And I think I agree with the other two. I agree with James certainly. Hey, quit smoking. That's fantastic. Choose anything else. Congrats to you, James. But Procter & Gamble, I actually like it as part of a
1: portfolio, right, because it has that volatility dampening effect, as Mike co said. All right, coming up. Get the glitter ready because we're talking gold, the shiny metal posting its best year in a decade. Will it continue to shine on? Plus, where did the smart money flow into this year? We are tracking that trade later. Much more on this bonus hour, Fast Money, straight ahead. Welcome back to a bonus hour, Fast Money, gold posting its best year in a decade. So let's get to a metals question.
8: Hi, I'm Charlie from Chicago. I'm down here in Florida right now with the stimulus checks coming in. I was wondering what you thought about Barrick Gold, ticker symbol G-O-L-D, and Happy New Year's.
1: Before we answer Charlie, uh, let's bring in, again, Capital founding partner and CNBC contributor John Kilduff. John, great to, uh, great to speak with you. Same here, Melissa. Happy New Year to everybody, to you in particular. Thank you very much, John. Happy New Year to you. What's your outlook for gold in uh, 21? Well, as the
9: uh, uh, caller just referenced, uh, we're getting stimulus this week. There's going to be extended unemployment. There's going to be more stimulus coming along, um, probably you know by the boatloads, and uh, that can only uh, help gold. It's already helping, obviously, Bitcoin. And that, but I would just point out that uh, gold is your father's Bitcoin, and uh, it too shall rise in times of the prolific kind of spending. and uh, and, and efforts by the federal government uh, that are are being undertaken right now and by the Fed, of course. So with Barrick, you have not only exposure to gold, but you also have an exposure to copper, and both of those things that they produce are going to be pumped up by by a weakening dollar that we're already seeing, a weakening dollar that's down double digits now uh, on the year that's going to be under assault uh, from what Mm -hmm. the federal government and the Fed has no choice but to do in terms of supporting our economy and, and, our, and our fellow citizens. So um, it's sort of a, it's a great place to hide out. And I will say this as well, in terms of it being sort of your, <clears throat> your father's stock, Melissa, mm-hmm. it, it it's the kind, has the kind of metrics that I grew up with in this market. It's got a 13 PE uh, that is priced to earnings, not to sales or what have you, actual earnings. It's got a decent uh, dividend yield of about 1.5%, and it's got this great exposure if, right. I, I hope the party doesn't end for the, some of the stocks out there that traded a hundred times sales. Yeah. But, to the, but if it does, this a stock like this, like Barrick, is your insurance policy against the um, potential day of reckoning that could come.
1: Sure. So, John, a weak dollar is going to be the tailwind for, for all sorts of commodity trades. Going to 21, what's your favorite? I mean, if we overlay sort of the expectation that things are going to go back to normal, that things are going to be reopening, do you also want to pick a commodity, as you mentioned, you mentioned copper, that gets that sort of industrial boost as well as a tailwind in addition to the weak dollar? What's your favorite?
9: I do. Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think copper has priced in much like the way the equity market has yeah. a lot of hopefulness for next year. Um, Look, I'm I'm an oil guy, as you all know. Uh, I think that's probably the most undervalued uh, commodity going here, as is things like gasoline and jet fuel and heating oil. So that really favors the refiners who are going to do extremely well. But also, too, you know, we talk in the heyday when crude was over $100 a barrel about high prices, curing high prices. Well, these low prices that we've been through now for this past year are in the process of curing that as well. There's there's just tremendous underinvestment. Um, there, there's a lot of, uh, retrenchment. Uh, I, I can easily see a lot of pain at the pump later in the year, uh, for consumers because of all the retrenchment in the industry. I think we're really setting ourselves up as, as a country and mm-hmm. as a consumer-based economy for a, a, a blow, uh, to us at the pump, at the price, at the uh, fuel pump. So I really think the place to sort of start you know mining right now besides uh-huh. gold which i do think is still a good play as well but is the crude oil is the petroleum complex
1: all right john always great to get your thoughts thank you
9: thank you mel
3: have a great one
1: you too john Kildoff, again capital mike john likes barrack do you
3: i i do absolutely you know i i've been long silver for most of the year and part of the reason i got into silver originally was because at the time uh, had it been underperforming gold now the actually the opposite is true so I'm going to be rotating my silver position into gold uh, people who aren't trading commodities directly via futures or options on futures can do that via, via GLD GDX is another way to play it I think a lot of the things that John was saying also are true for energy and it's important to remember in the energy complex that sometimes you have a situation where you, know, you have these supply-demand shifts, and that can create near-term uh, supply shortages in the same way that you can have the big gluts like the ones that we saw earlier this year when WTI actually traded negative at one point. And so I think if you see demand spike considerably, you are going to see on the product side, as he was referencing, the potential for some you know, supply-demand imbalance, which would obviously be good for the refining space. So I like that play as well.
1: Brian Kelly. Gold, that was your final trade, wasn't it, in the five? It seemed so long ago, half an hour ago, to be exact. It was. It was <laughs> but was do you, it an hour? It, Not half half even. an it hour. It was like half an hour minutes. ago. Yeah, 29 yeah. minutes. Um, but Barrick, do you like Barrick specifically?
4: Actually, yes, I do. I mean, you, you've got a couple things going for it. One, the fact, that they do pay a dividend in a low-rate environment, that's going to get nice. It's, it's, that's going to be good. It's levered to the price of gold. You've already seen copper run, but copper probably could get a bit more of a run. So I like the entire complex, but Barrick specifically, I think, does
1: quite well. All right. Coming up, snowflake shares cooling off today. But what's ahead for one of this year's IPO darlings? We've got that trade next. And later, we're cracking open some adult beverages on this New Year's Eve night and talking booze stocks. Stick around. We've got much more ahead. Welcome back to this bonus hour of Fast Money. Our next question is about a 2020 IPO that counts Warren Buffett as an investor.
6: Hey Fast Money, this is Mark from Hawaii. Wanted to get your opinion on Snowflake. Is it worth getting in now or wait a little longer? Thanks.
1: Before we answer Mark, we want to bring in Leslie Picker who's got more on where else the smart money went in 2020. Leslie.
10: Yeah, that's right, Melissa. Stock picking hedge funds found solace in some stellar returns this year. On average, they beat the S&P. Energy, healthcare, and technology focused funds all on pace to generate alpha for 2020. So what were the stocks that got them there? For that, we turn to Goldman Sachs' very important positions, or the stocks that appear most frequently among the largest positions for hedge funds. Over nine consecutive quarters, the same top five stocks have reigned supreme. These are Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Alibaba, and Google's parent company, alphabet. However, more recently, hedge funds have been reducing ownership of Amazon and actually bumped Tesla off the top 50 list. Some recent IPOs have also caught the attention of the so-called smart money. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway took a massive stake in Snowflake, which more than doubled in its debut and has remained at elevated levels. Hedge funds were pretty bearish on tech and media as well though. Among the stocks that represent the largest absolute value of short positions, Intel, AT&T, AMD, Comcast, and Aon make up the top of that list. Bolstering these returns for hedge funds was record net leverage and diminishing short interest levels among a rising broader market. However, the hedge fund favorites of 2020 are getting quite expensive. That basket of top stocks is trading at 25 times two-year forward earnings, a widening premium to the 19 times exhibited by the S&P 500. Mel.
1: Thank you, Leslie. So, BK, what do you think of Snowflake?
4: So, you know, listen, Snowflake, you, it's, it's actually a real company. It had this massive IPO pop, right, well into the 400s, and it now has come down to earth. The key for Snowflake is going to be, can it hold around the 265 level or so? If you start to see some demand come in there, so remember, you got a lot of IPO investors that are just flipping this type of thing, and then you know, flipped it in the high 400s. If they come back here, let's call it 265, then I think that's going to be the sign that we bottomed out here. The froth has gone out, and it's a real company with some real prospects.
1: James, can you get behind Snowflake? Uh, it's tough
5: here, even at these valuations. I mean, at one point, it's valuation surpassed the entire addressable market, uh, which is about $81 billion on an intraday basis. Uh, they've got good metrics, they've averaged almost uh, 25% over the past eight quarters, quarterly growth, they've got great retention, they've doubled the number of customers spending over a million bucks, uh, but you have to be careful jumping onto IPOs uh, in hot bull markets. It's really tough as an investor to come in at this price and make money going forward, but it's a solid company.
3: Mike? Yeah, you know, we can take a look at companies that have high valuations where obviously there's continued strength. There's a lot of people buying the stock. Tesla is a name like that. But just take a look at how Snowflake has performed basically since late November. I mean, it's really been underperforming the market. It's been underperforming some of the other high valuation growth type stocks. So a good business. But I'm with BK. I think that there does appear to be some level of support, you know, around the 260 or just below. You know, it traded in that range for several months, and I could see that if it got back to that level, that there probably is some measure of support. It's a better entry point than up here over 280.
1: All right. Well, there were a lot of hot IPOs. There were also a lot of hot SPACs. Let's get to the next question.
3: Hey, gang of Fast morning. Happy New Year, and great job filling in for Kramer this week. Really enjoyed the show. So my question is about QuantumScape. I'm a big believer in the solid-state battery technology, and they've also had a tremendous success with charge in 15 minutes. They're down 25% over the last five days and a little over 12% today. Is now the time to get in, or should we expect the pullback to continue? Thanks again.
1: Thanks for the question, Greg. Mike, what do you say?
3: Uh, I, too, am a believer in the technology, but here's the thing. It's a supply and demand story, and they announced a secondary. What does that mean? That means there's more supply. And basically, if you have net share selling, the price isn't going to go higher. Uh, So that actually is basically what's accounting for today's weakness, and I think you can probably be patient with this one.
1: Brian Kelly, you often speak of stocks that you put in the top drawer and you wait. Does this fall into that category? Yeah.
4: Uh, You know what? You're, You're right here tonight, Melissa. Absolutely this is one of those stocks. And I actually think even on the news of the secondary here, right, because now the news is out. So, you know, could it go another 10, 15 percent lower? Sure, it could. But to Mike's point, I like the longer term, let's call it five year to 10 year trajectory on this. And so if you can get it at a price discount to where it
1: has traded in the past, then why not put it in your top drawer, sleep well at night. This is all part of the euphoria surrounding the EV trade, James. So what's your top way of playing that space, that trend?
5: Tesla, don't need to be long winded with that one. Um, yeah, this company is overvalued here. I think Tesla is gonna be the monster in this space for playing EV. Uh, I think Tesla's also gonna be the monster in this space for what people aren't really talking about and that's the artificial intelligence, intellectual property that's gonna power every automotive uh, uh, autonomous vehicle driving uh, initiative. And so uh, don't like skate here, but to answer your question, Tesla.
1: Just a quick follow-on, BK. Is Tesla still in your top drawer? Did you take it out and put it into a lower drawer, or maybe um, recycle it?
4: <laughs> no, I. You know, so it's it's still there's a good portion of of Tesla that is still in my my top drawer. I mean, again nobody's going to blame you after a 700 run or whatever it was uh to take a little bit off the table but you know to james's point i think there's a lot more to this company than just an automobile company all right
1: we've got another question on one of warren buffett's bets
4: good evening traders i've been looking at
9: the
6: stock of bristol myers with only a four percent change over the past 26 weeks and not much movement overall this year i'm wondering if heading into the new year it's time to buy thank you and happy
1: new year james you like bmy uh
6: bristol myers got plenty of blockbuster d-
5: drugs in the pipeline potentially and it's at a bargain price it's got a forward-looking price earnings ratio in the single digits on uh, the key reason for the low valuation is the company faces the prospect of sales declines going in 2022 when there's some generic versions of its blockbuster job uh, Revlimid coming available online. Uh, Wall Street thinks Bristol-Myers is going to deliver average annual growth of more than 20% over the next five years. Um, add that to the dividend, I think it's a good buy here. It's got a lot of pipeline with a lot of loaded winners in it.
3: Mike? Yeah, I'm, I'm with James on this. This is kind of the same story in some respects as Pfizer was. We talked about that earlier this week. I mean, the company obviously looks very cheap on a trailing basis because of some of those other headwinds that he was just referencing there. But this is one of those names that's definitely deserving a spot in your portfolio, particularly if you have some of these other higher-flying stocks. This one's going to basically be a good way to diversify. You're getting some some payout here, so uh, I like Bristol.
1: Yeah. Uh, BK, what's your top pick in Big Cap Pharma?
4: oh you know that that's kind of interesting i mean if you look at at at, at, B- at BMY, I actually like the dividend on it and mike was just talking about the high flyers here's how i would look at at those two right tesla is like jumping off the high dive it's it's scary it's fun and you're going to make a big splash with bristol myers it's like jumping into a pool of foam blocks it's fine you're not going to get hurt you're going to get a little bit of excitement so you know th-
1: that's that's how i would frame these two foam blocks it's the first time that's that phrase that? like made. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It's the first time it's ever been mentioned on Fast Money, that's all. Coming up, it's New Year's Eve, and while the champagne may not be flowing as much this year, there might be some booze stocks that could bubble up your portfolio. We'll pop the cork on them when this bonus mo- hour fast money continues. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another Bonus Hour of Fast Money. Let's crack open a question about an alcohol stock.
8: Hi guys, this is Bernard Kong from sunny California. I'm an investor, a CPA. I also work in the legalized cannabis industry. The 2020 COVID-19 has given the legalized cannabis industry a nice tailwind. However, looking at the traditional recession-proof stocks hasn't done nearly as well. I'm thinking of the likes of Diageo, a molson course what gives what do you guys think is happening with that sector cheers go ducks
1: <laughs> there's a little kid in the background by the way too who cheered um, brian kelly what do you say
4: <laughs> yeah well so in particular with molson cores what they did not do is they didn't adapt i mean what you're seeing is a lot of people that have switched from beer to some of the lighter beverages i have a good friend who loves the white claw these days And so the point is, Molson Coors didn't really pick that up. However, recently they have. They've made a couple partnerships in the recent past. Uh, I think they have the Huzzah brand now that's going to diversify them away from the beer sector. So I think there probably is a bit of upside in tap, Molson Coors. Yeah. Mike, what do you say?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think basically the the biggest support you might have for Molson Coors here is just the fact that the stock has performed so badly and consequently it's relatively cheap. I think it's trading, you know, eight, nine times earnings here. Uh, You know, BK really hit the nail on the head with this one because you don't just have to adapt to the new beverage types, but even within your own space, if that's going to be beer, we've seen a lot of people migrating to sort of the more bespoke uh, makers of beer and they haven't really been able to keep up on that, but... You know, and also the dividend suspension, I think that was a, that was also an issue as well. But I think you have the dividend coming back uh, and, you know, the valuation might be, you know, a way to play a turnaround story.
1: All right. Let's sip on another boozy stock question.
4: Hello. Happy New Year, everyone. I apologize for my pandemic hair. I would like to know I missed out on Boston Beer Company, Sam, when it was 600. Mr. Kramer told me to grab it. And I didn't. And now it's at a thousand. Is it too late? He also told me to do Constellation Brands, which I did. And that, too, is at its 52-week high. Should I add some more money to Constellation Brands? Thanks, y'all, so much.
1: All right, James, what do you tell Terry?
5: I think Boston Beer Company is a great business. I think it's going to continue to do well. So much momentum in it, um, so much high consumer demand, um, and brand loyalty as well. So I think that's a keeper.
1: Yeah, Mike.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. And also on Constellation Brands, you know, I like Constellation Brands too. And obviously, you know, that's a that's a broader sort of an act thing there. If you're buying Constellation, it's not uh, as quite as narrow as, as Boston Beer.
1: All right, coming up, check your heart rate because we are jumping into a fitness electronics stock that has seen its own ups and downs this year. And with 2020 coming to an end, make sure to put a smile on for the new year stock you need to make those pearly whites pop. That's coming up next. Welcome back to this bonus hour of Fast Money. Let's jump right into this next question.
5: Hello, my name is Richard West from Georgia. And I was wondering, with Google's recent acquisition of Fitbit and it being the new year and all these new year's resolutions, what's Fitbit's upside going to look like in the new year? Thank you
1: interesting question james what do you say
5: i say like most fads they come and go and fitbit is a perfect example of that to our comments earlier about peloton things get really hot and then they're not and fitbit um it's still going to be in the salary a year from now i think a lot of big companies make acquisitions testing ideas that we will never know about uh that may never come to market i would not put money in this stock richard mike
3: Yeah, I I definitely think this is one you want to avoid. First of all, just take a look at how the company has been doing over the course of the last couple of years. You know, this is a situation where the company is not making money and has significantly declining revenues, largely because of the things that James was just talking about, which means it's a mad scramble for management, basically, to try to keep things afloat and reposition themselves both. And, of course, you're going to be competing against things like Apple iWatches and stuff like that. There's going to be a lot of functionality that other technology providers are going to be providing, and they're kind of a one-trick pony. So whatever Google might be up to, it's, uh, let's leave it up to them to try to figure out whether they can do something with it. But I wouldn't put it in my portfolio.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mike makes a good point on the Apple Watch, and, and there's also Garmin, BK.
4: Yeah, exactly. So Fitbit's competitive advantage was that they had a gadget that nobody else had but as soon as software took that over and by software i mean you know what they're doing with the apple watch what google's doing with its own watch what garmin does all of those things you don't necessarily need that particular gadget you just need the software on something so how many watches you can wear i mean i'm I'm not my co i don't
1: have several diamond watches up my arm uh therefore i would not buy fitbit He's hiding them underneath his shirt sleeve. Uh, Let's jump into our next and last question. And here's one that hopefully makes you smile.
9: Hey, Fast Money team, Nick Collin from California. Uh, I wanted to get you guys' opinion on Smile Direct Club or SDC. Uh, You know, with the new year coming around and everyone's trying to, you know, set new goals and new resolutions, and especially my generation with, you know, everyone trying to look it on the Internet with Instagram and TikTok, uh, I think Smile Direct definitely provides a more streamlined approach uh, to traditional orthodontics, and I think that the, that the company has a lot of potential, but I want to get your guys' take on the potential of the company, uh, where you think the stock can go, and if they're actually a disruptor in the industry.
1: I mean, BK, I know you want to look your best on, on TikTok and Instagram, so what, what do you think of SDC? <laughs> that's,
4: that's, that's very true. I do, do one of those on, on there. That's, I learned that from the Kardashians, but I digress. Uh, Smile Direct, unfortunately, I'm not a big fan of this. The the reason why is it's extremely vulnerable to economic hiccups. You know, that's the first thing that you're going to let go uh, if you don't have money, if for some reason that the virus comes back and you lose your job again. Uh, It's had a pretty good rally off the lows. I understand the kind of longer term trajectory that you do want to look good on TikTok, as we all do. Uh, But I just, you know, I, I just think Smile Direct's a real, real dangerous one here.
1: All right, let's finish out the New Year's theme here. We were inspired by old Lang Syne and specifically old investments you might want to forget. So you want to ask your traders about their stock regrets for the year. Hmm, interesting year, BK, to ask this question. What do you say? BK? Oh, you were talking to me. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, BK, I, that's I, your I name, right? Apparently,
4: yeah. <laughs> It is. is I, I regret not taking my memory and hearing medicine I guess uh, so for me it's actually the casino stocks and this is really emblematic of the whole recovery so when they said they were going to open the casinos again I thought that's crazy nobody's going to go to them and then there were throngs of people going to it and what I missed was the people that generally will go to the casinos they think they can beat the odds of the casino so certainly they think they're going to beat the odds of the virus I was in my bubble right I didn't see all of that going on so i missed that whole trade and that is my regret
1: yeah does that mean that you are you do you regret not getting into other um reopening trades
4: cruise lines airlines uh you know those i i got into a little bit of them but i didn't hold them long enough i didn't trade them well so yes regrets i have a few
1: all right um mike let's go to you
3: well i mean probably like every investor watching i wish i'd owned tesla the whole time but really my regret trade (laughs) is an old stock as well and that's at&t uh so this is an interesting situation the way i've sort of been thinking about this they have a lot of uh, legacy businesses that continue to struggle that basically hold the company down but of course we do have the 5g rollout and some things that are potential positive but the way i was looking at it number one They seem to have a supported dividend here, and that was one thing I thought could bolster the stock. Something else is that when you have monetary policy that is basically in favor of debtors, you might look at balance sheets that have a lot of debt on them as potential beneficiaries. AT&T is certainly one of these. So I was kind of surprised to see how poorly it did throughout the the end of the year. But actually, this is going to be a holding that I'm going to have going into the new year, too.
1: I mean, that's sort of dogs of the Dow kind of theory, Mike. This might be something that people want to get into, initiate a new position in.
3: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, this is one of those situations you're going to have to look past some of the businesses that really are struggling. They have the legacy wireline business. That's a problem. They have negative EBITDA coming out of LATAM. That's obviously a problem. But we do have 5G rollouts. That's a positive. We do have monetary policy. That basically is going to keep borrowing costs relatively low and you do have people who are going to be looking for yield and this is a company that's got a lot of it so i think those are things that at the very least change the risk war dynamic if you happen to buy the shares here
1: all right james what's your regret well i wasn't always a grumpy old bear once (laughs) upon
5: a time when the market crashed in march and valuations were back to late 2016 levels i thought clearly and i thought that this 12-year bull market had finally come to its pause, and we were going higher, but there was so much negative news, so much fear in the market, that I let go of SPY around the $245 level. It had just broken out. My instincts told me this was a good buy level, uh, but I really, really was concerned about the pandemic, and I was not one of those who got back in the market and held, and I regret that.
1: I think, James, Thank that a lot of people out there have that regret. Brian Kelly, I mean, in the depths of the pandemic, yeah. um, with all the volatility that we saw, with all the economic destruction that has happened because of the side effects of the pandemic, I mean, I don't, I don't know if many people had the stomach to get in close to those March lows or stay in.
4: Yeah, ap- yeah, abs- absolutely. And we even heard it from Warren Buffett uh, as well. You know, at that point in time, the different the distribution of outcomes were so varied it was hard to put any probability on any of them we really didn't know what was going to happen so it was a really difficult time and I think you know even the pros get it wrong and one thing that you can learn from that is you know when everything looks horrible when it's the worst, when you feel like you want to vomit on your shoes, that's probably the time you want to buy. So if that's what the, the lesson I'm going to take from 2020 is, when I feel like I want to
1: vomit on my shoes, BK's a buyer. We've all learned a lot in 2020, that's for sure. Thank you, traders, for all your time and dedication all throughout this year on top of tonight. Brian Kelly, Mike Co, James McDonald, thank you out there for watching the special edition of Fast Money. Happy and healthy new year. We'll see you on the other side. The news is up next.